You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Intellectual Erection. I am your new co-host, Yaz, joined by your favorite. Your, well, your old co Your, fuck. Your old host, Pat. Wow, you sound really excited to introduce yourself there, baby. Pat. This is what happens when we record the intro after like three days of editing straight. We are super excited about this episode. So yes, while it has been a lot of work and Pat and I as a couple are just getting into the groove of how to work together and spend this much time together, we think that you are really going to enjoy this episode that is all about one of my favorite topics, squirting. So if you're already familiar with the new episode format, we totally revamped Intellectual Erection. We now have a literature review at the beginning of episodes where we look at the research around the theme of what we're talking about. Then we talk to some experts, and sometimes we have a panel with a bunch of humans talking about our theme. We ask them some questions, and this episode is no different. Who who are we talking to today? You want me to say who we're talking to? Yeah. We are talking, <laughs> uh, today we're talking to Alicia Fisher, who is currently working on her PhD. Yep. She is a sex educator. Yep. Sex and relationship coach as well. And then we're also talking to my favorite sex educator, Lola Jean, who is currently the world record holder for volume squirting, who's also a sex educator, kink fetish wrestler, does all sorts of other really cool stuff. And then we're going to end the episode in a panel discussion. I think there was like six of us in that chat talking about all of our own experiences around squirting. Well, let's give them a little taste. There is nothing more powerful than the feeling of just squirting the fuck out of like a dude, you know, just like coming all over them. And and I'm like, this is what it must feel like for you guys. But it's me on the other end. So fuck you. I'm just going to squirt all over you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to get it up your fucking nose. I'm going to get it in your eyes. I'm going to drown you in it. If there's one reason why you should feel more comfortable to do it is that feeling of power and nothing else will ever feel like that. And like, if you can do that for yourself, it is magic. Before we get started on this episode and the literature review and all that, why did you want to talk about squirting so bad? Well, I squirt a lot. <laughs> yeah, you Have do. you noticed? And I don't know. I haven't keep my eyes shut. What are you talking about? Your eyes are always open. You're always yeah. looking at me, making love to me with your eyes. Anyway, yeah. So I'm a pretty big squirter. And my introduction to squirting, um, perhaps like a few others, many others maybe, was not super pleasant. Mm. The first time that I squirted, I was um, with my... Uh, Beautiful, wonderful uh, ex-girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time, and she was really freaked out when the squirting happened, and I just carried a lot of shame about it after that, and I was super embarrassed based on her reaction and my own stories about it. I really just thought that I'd pissed myself, and even if I had, even if I had pissed myself, like, it could still be hot. So I've been on this journey of trying to, like, feel as if this thing that my body is doing as a response to feeling relaxed and safe is a hot thing. Well, what was it that she did that made you feel ashamed? Oh my God, did you just pee? Did you just pee all over the bed? What just happened? And I was like, oh my God, did I? I don't know. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I was that guy once. Yeah, you I was, tell him. Yeah, I was about 18, maybe 17. I can't remember exactly. It was my first serious relationship. And I'd been together with this person for maybe two years, a year and a half at that point. So the first time that she squirted, I was going down on her and fingering her. She just asked me, remove your fingers, remove your fingers this minute. As soon as I take the fingers out, this floodgate opens. And I always described it as about two liters of liquid just spurting out. Like you're about to squeeze a two liter pop. And my first reaction is to scream at her, you're pissing on the bed, oh, God. and throw a pillow between her legs. 
because 17-year-old me was clearly a very well-educated, sex-positive human. So anyways, I still feel bad about that to this day, and I don't see it as an uncommon reaction, unfortunately. So it does tend to, to be the story that the first time that people squirt around people who aren't familiar with it, who don't get a proper sex education, what happens is this ball of fucking shame. Okay, so your first time was clearly bad. Do you have a story of a time where it was really good? Yeah, actually, not too long after uh, the first squirting incident, I uh, had a, an encounter with a dude who worked at the local pizza shop. Oh, near... wait, this isn't about me? No, this Never is mind. Not, this <laughs> I don't want to hear this story. It's not about you, baby. This is a, f- a few years before you. Uh, yeah, there was this guy who worked at the local pizza shop near me, and we'd fooled around... I think a few times and he'd made me squirt and he was really supportive of the experience. And then one time I called him up or like texted him late at night and I was like, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm just closing up at the pizza shop. Do you want to come by? And I was like, okay. So I go in and he closes the doors, locks up. It's like maybe 11 or maybe midnight. And then he takes me downstairs to uh, his boss's office And, you know, there's a desk, there's a chair, there's a computer, and there are files and paperwork everywhere, all over every counter, files. And so anonymous pizza dude, we'll call him, picks me up, puts me right on top of the desk and starts fingering me. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I can can feel it. You know, you can hear that, like, sloshing, like, macaroni in the pot sound. And I'm like, okay, I think it's going to happen. I'm going to squirt. And I squirted all over everything all over the documents the pages were all stuck together (laughs) and the ink was bleeding you could not you could not read anything um and it was really it was really fun and i think since then i've been a lot more open to the idea of squirting and you know like it's something that happens a lot um so so as long as i feel like we've put in enough like preparation like i feel like there's enough towels down and stuff like that. I feel really good about engaging with it, but sometimes I still do feel frustrated by the fact that I don't have access to like spontaneous sex. I mean, I hope to eventually get to a point where I just like don't give a shit and I'm just like, I'm gonna just hose you down with my insides. (laughs) Yep. And like, just hope that you enjoy it. But you know, baby steps. Well, I think the takeaway message here is if you want somebody to audit all your paperwork, call Yaz. (laughs) Anyway, y'all, enjoy this episode. Wait, wait, wait. First, remember to follow us on our new Instagram, Intellectual Erection, because our old one got deleted by the Insta police. And if you want to support this podcast and have access to exclusive content like the full interviews that we have with each one of our guests and the panel talks, please visit patreon.com slash intellectual erection and become a patron. And as always, listen. Like. No, subscribe. Fuck. I need prefer I need to review and most of all Enjoy. And now, literature review. We found a bunch of articles, about seventeen of them, relating to squirting. Now I just want to do a little PSA public service announcement. Yes. That uh, a lot of the language in these studies is gendered because maybe the way that the people uh, who they studied identified, but they're basically always talking about women, female ejaculation, female prostate, and you'll be seeing these terms throughout. We prefer to refer to vulva owners and vulva parts and vulva squirting and such. Vulva parts? Yeah, like the prostate, vulva prostate, (laughs) and like the G-spot is, where is it? In a vulva, in a pussy. (laughs) It just sounded so weird. It does. sounds a little technical. Uh, But as we're reading through these literature reviews, we're just going to be reading what it is that they have written down. But just so you know, yeah, that's how we feel about it. So one of the first studies that we we found looking at the nature and origin of squirting in female sexuality, this study used ultrasonographic bladder monitoring and biochemical analyses on seven women to find that during sexual stimulation, the bladder was filling up and then after squirting, the bladder was empty again. The biochemical analyses found that the squirt fluid was actually mostly urine and some prostatic fluid. We'll get into prostatic fluid later. But basically, vulva owners have tissue surrounding the urethra that's equivalent to a prostate. 
It's called a skein's gland, and it produces white viscous secretions when sexually stimulated. A lot of the studies basically find the same thing, and a lot of the arguments are just around what is female ejaculation? What is squirting? Are they one and the same thing? What is the fluid made up of? Is it prostatic fluid or urine? So we're going to go through some of them, and, and you can draw your own conclusions, but the interviews that we have afterwards with the experts will maybe enlighten you a little bit about what's more important when it comes to squirting. The scientists quibbling about what the fluids are or the people spurting the fluids on their partners <laughs> and friends. Yeah, so there was another study that was done all the way back in 1981 that revealed that the fluid in one woman's squirt was not urine but prostatic secretion. We were talking about one person here. Well, there's there's a whole stu study around yeah. one person. Yeah. The one before this was seven people. Yeah. And Where's the study with hundreds of vulva owners squirting? Uh, Thousands. There's no money to be made in, in, uh, so in women's sexuality, right? An even earlier study from 1978 argues that women do indeed have a prostate. It is responsible for ejaculation and pleasure. And the ejaculant is made up of prostatic secretions, which are actually similar in composition to what's called male seminal fluid minus the sperm. So this, this just kind of shows that we kind of have the same plumbing, just in different configurations. Mm -hmm. So that's why the so-called female prostate is important, because it shows that the same structure exists inside the bodies of vulva owners that also exist in the bodies of penis owners, and that they produce similar fluids. So this study was updated a couple years later in 1993. And this study confirmed that the clinical findings that women have a prostate and further explain that some squirting is urine while others are different fluids, such as the prostatic secretions. This depends and varies from person to person. And this is important as many women have feared uh, urinary incontinence and opted for surgery to prevent ejaculation during sex. Yeah, so a lot of women who traditionally have squirted thought that it was something called urinary incontinence, which is basically not having control Yeah, they think that they're just pee peeing involuntarily yeah. while they're having sex or aroused. It is a thing. Some people do have this issue, but to confuse that with squirting creates a problem where people who are squirting suddenly think that they have this issue of urinating during sex that then they might want to try and fix with a surgery. But even if you are peeing during sex, and that really is what's happening, mm. like, is there a way that we can... I don't know, Enjoy just let that. it happen and just like everybody embraces that water there's, sports are a wonderful thing to get behind. There's always a way. There's always a way. It's just getting around people's shame and biases. judgment yeah. and all that stuff. One study found that women who do squirt do not have urinary incontinence or bladder issues compared to women who cannot squirt. So this study basically showed that urinary incontinence and squirting are not the same thing. Another case study shows a distinct difference between squirting and female ejaculation, where squirting is diluted urine coming from the bladder, and that female ejaculation is prostatic secretion comparable to semen. And this one is like a clear, sometimes white, viscous fluid. So again, people are just trying to differentiate between these two different things. Another clinical study found no relation between the so-called female orgasm and ejaculation. And this study specifically used vibrators on clits to induce orgasms. The next study looked at the history of female ejaculation and the female prostate, which, again, we will refer to as vulva ejaculation and the vulva prostate. It's actually well documented throughout over 2,000 years of history. Aristotle mentions vulva ejaculation as early as 300 BCE, and it was well known in ancient China, depicted in 4th century Taoist texts, as well as ancient Indian texts like the Kama Sutra. The vulva prostate was theorized as early as the 16th century and remained in scientific literature up until 1952 when Ernst Grafenberg introduced the role of the urethra in vulva orgasms. He's also responsible for introducing the Grafenberg spot, or what we now call the G-spot. And this is interesting because there are many parts of vulva owners' bodies that are named after Dudes. male fucking scientists. Yeah, even the prostate, right? The, it's the skein's The skein's glands, like that's a dude. Yeah. So it's, it's, the, it's common in science, right? The people who discover whatever get to claim it and name it after themselves. But it's, it's, it's kind of funny because it's a little bit colonial. Yeah, colonizing you're literally bodies. colonizing my body with your fucking name. Yeah, well. It's too much. Welcome to the history of science. 
A survey of approximately 1,200 women revealed that 40% of them experience ejaculation during orgasm, and 82% of this group associate squirting with the G-spot. This next study I found particularly interesting because they were looking to see if female ejaculation has any antimicrobial purposes. So the study looked at vulva prostates and vulva ejaculation and found that the prostatic fluid, which is like semen, may have the evolutionary function of protecting vulvas from UTIs because of antimicrobial agents found in the fluid. A newer study confirms the existence of a female prostate and its production of ejaculant consisting of this prostatic fluid. So again, there's lots of these update studies that just try to prove the same thing over and over as though it's some kind of myth. Studies on female ejaculation have traditionally tried to differentiate between the ejaculation, urinary incontinence, and vaginal transudate, which is getting wet. This study showed that female ejaculation enriches the sex lives of women and their partners. Right, so another study trying to kind of categorize the different fluids that come out of a pussy. <laughs> a 2021 study looked at 44 studies, so this is a meta-review, looks at 44 studies from 1889 to 2019. 1889? Yeah, I told you, they've been studying the fluids of, of pussies. Yeah, but we have that information? Where's that study? Uh, and confirmed the existence of the female prostate and its production of ejaculate, which is not urine but prostatic fluid. And it has antimicrobial properties to protect the urethra. The reason I'm laughing is Why that... Why are you laughing right because, because all these studies start with, like, it's a big controversy whether, you know, squirting exists or female ejaculation exists. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not like it exists whether or not you confirm it with your study. People are shooting liquids out their pussies <laughs> and you're trying to say whether it exists or not. It's honestly mind-blowing. I mean, I also don't understand why we're so obsessed with trying to figure out the differences between... Like, trying to categorize the difference between ejaculate versus squirt versus pee, like... What's funny sometimes about these is the wording that they use. They're like, oh, well, there's a lot of controversy about whether, um, you know, the, the prostate, the female prostate exists, whether female ejaculation exists. I just find that funny because that makes it seem as though these things don't exist until they're studied by scientists. Mm -hmm. As though, like, pussies aren't squirting juices until the scientists confirm that they are. Right. So another uh, qualitative study asked women about their experiences with ejaculation and various reports were given, including feelings of humiliation, shame, wonder, exploration, acceptance, and resignation. The participants had different relationships with their bodies, sexuality, and the meaning around this mysterious fluid. <laughs> is, that, is that your wording, mysterious? Is that their wording? I don't remember. I just like the word resignation there. It's Why? Because like, you just resigned to it, like, I'm going to squirt anyway. That's you. Is that me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I pictured you when the word resignation came up. Like, fuck, it's just going to happen. All right. Well, this next study differentiates between the, the fluids again. We got the female ejaculation, which is defined as the milky white sort of fluid that comes from the prostate during orgasm. And it contains what's called prostate-specific antigens, so PSAs. Squirting is then differentiated as the expulsion of fluid containing various concentrates of urine, cretinine, and uric acid, which comes from the bladder. And then coital incontinence is defined as a loss of bladder control during sex, which is associated with what we talked about earlier, namely urinary incontinence. I like the name of this next study. Obscene squirting. If the government thinks it's urine then they've got another thing coming. <laughs> this super cheeky study argues that female ejaculation is not urine, demonstrating that women with empty bladders were still able to produce female ejaculation and the chemical composition differed from urine. And I can back this up from my personal experience, okay? I sit my butt right on the toilet, I pee and I pee and I pee. 10 seconds later, I could be squirting. And like the color is different, it smells different, there's different, there's different. Yeah. And the final study that we looked at, which is the only study that we could find on what's called male squirting, used one subject, one dude, who's like, I can squirt. And in this one study, they found that male squirting is basically the emptying of the bladder due to strong contractions of the prostate. The fluid is urine. What would we like to see people studying? If not, like, this continuate, like, what do we actually want people to be doing? I don't know. I think it's... 
I think it'd be more interesting to see qualitative studies done on squirting, like the one that we found, which talks about shame, which talks about like people's experiences around yeah, squirting. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in. I want to hear... Yeah, because there's so many studies that are quibbling about how much urine is in squirting, what concentration. And I think what we can understand from the variety of studies is that there's different concentrations of urine depending on bodies, probably depending from time to time. Mm -hmm. We can keep debating how much pee is present in our squirt and what other things are in our squirt, but honestly, I don't care. I think that there are other more important things for us to be talking about when it comes to squirting. So that's why we've chosen to reach out to a couple of experts to give us some qualitative information, some firsthand experience, and hopefully some information that feels valuable to you, more valuable than how much piss is present in your squirt. So let's get underway with our first interview with a sexpert, Alicia Fisher. Hi, so my name is Alicia Fisher. I'm an international relationship coach. I'm currently completing my PhD in human sexuality all the way down in California. Some of my key skills and expertise certainly revolves around uh, sexual violence and navigating trauma and sex and intimacy after uh, experiencing that. Alicia has held workshops on squirting before, and so we wanted to know, how do you start these workshops? What are the most important things for people to know right off the bat? I think that squirting and ejaculation are two different things, especially when we are talking about the vagina-possessing individuals. So squirting in particular comes from the bladder, whereas the more ejaculate is actually coming from, uh, coming from the vagina. So I think one of the first things is acknowledging that it can happen, but it doesn't have to happen, right? When we look at the media representations of squirting, it is like 20 feet across the wall and they just keep going and going and going as if their body has like a fire hose attached to it. So um, I think just first of all, kind of debunking um, the myths, the expectations that if you are squirting, it doesn't need to be a big theatrical performance like we see in the performative porn that we're seeing. Now, mind you, there are some bodies that do do that, but it's certainly not an expectation. For some folks, it's a little trickle. For some folks, it's a damn fire extinguisher and we have to clean up the walls afterwards. Next, we wanted to find out from Alicia what techniques can be used to squirt and what does it take to let go of the fluid? With the vulva, there's a couple different strategies in order to, to reach kind of that squirting orgasm. And so for some folks, it's more internal than others, but some of the squirting kind of procedure and techniques is all about kind of hitting that G-spot. So to know if something's good for hitting a G-spot, it tends to have a little bit of length to it, about like the length of um, maybe half a hand or so, and then with a little bulb at the end. And so to, to hit that G-spot, essentially you want to insert the product so that way it goes in and hits anterior. So it hits towards your pubic mount. How you can find the G-spot is that if you take your tongue and you put it on the roof of your mouth, it feels a little bit rough, a little bit hard, and then you slide it a little bit back, and that's a sweet spot, that nice, soft, plushy area. The G-spot, there's been kind of some discourse around whether it works or whether you can hit it. But to hit the G-spot, essentially, you're going to insert the product. Now, I typically like one that vibrates and that's a little bit harder so that way it holds in place. This is where you're going to look for a silicone density that's a little bit, uh, has more structure to it. So you can't really move it or that it's not super flexible or squishy. Once that gets inserted, uh, it's going to go back up and hit kind of the top, almost as if it's doing a come here motion. So some people use it with their fingers. I have really small hands, so I like to get other people involved to help me out with my poor little orgasms. And some folks love a lot of, of really hard pressure to that area. And then it switches to that of more of a clitoral stimulation with the head of the clitoris, which is kind of more of like um, a window wiper back and forth right on the head of the clitoris. Some folks like more rubbing to the area. Some folks love more of the penetration. I know certainly when we watch a lot of the pornographic material, there tends to be kind of a, a mixture of the two where you have a penetrative object happening alongside the external stimulation with the clitoris. Everyone can, can reach these things in very different ways. And so we're certainly not learning about pleasure in the healthy living curriculum and sex eds, but yet over 8,000 nerve endings, come on. Definitely the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind is that they get to that point and then it feels like they're going to pee. It feels like that 
oh my gosh, like I'm going to make a mess. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to queef because I'm going to flex and all the air is going to be pushed out. And so one way to navigate that is to practice on yourself first and foremost. Practicing on yourself is going to give you a better idea about what feels good and what may happen down the line. So practicing on yourself, you could do it like in a bathtub, you can do it where you have certain sheets laid out, but really coming into that space of this is you and your time to explore that pleasure. Give yourself a good amount of time to get yourself in that deep headspace in a very soft and comfortable environment or, you know, hard and sharp, whatever your, whatever your preference is for comfort and uh, and give yourself that permission to to let go to to try something new to just see what happens and you know I like to think about what is the absolute worst thing that could happen by giving yourself an orgasm and ooh you peed this is something that my body is doing as a response to something that feels good And so why stop that for yourself? And think about too, why that stopping of the pleasure is occurring, right? So where is that shame? Where is that guilt from? And I think especially as as femme people, as women presenting people, we carry a lot of that shame of that pleasure because, well, we can't be doing too much, right? We can't be exploring pleasure. You know, these orgasms are supposed to be for men and our male partners if we're heterosexual. And so a lot of learning is really the unlearning of how we learn about sex and intimacy. Unfortunately, some people have their first squirting session or orgasm in the presence of a partner who is not very supportive. I was curious to know what Alicia might recommend for those that are looking to reclaim their pleasure around squirting and coming. If you're having any sort of flashbacks, any sort of triggers, is to, to manage those first and foremost. You know, we have to get our mental health in a in a stable state before we can start to like move on to um, exploring the incident that could be possibly kind of triggering more flashbacks to these really kind of uncomfortable and and shitty events, right? So know who your supports and resources are for your mental health, I think is is one thing. The next thing to, to think about is that this is someone's response from the same shitty educational system that you grew up in, right? This is someone who had their own response in their own body And you were in the presence of that shitty response. And so it's almost a way to externalize and separate that this was this person's response to a very pleasurable moment in my life. And their response certainly did not feel good, but I cannot control what their response was. I cannot control that this crappy incident happened. What I can control is what I'm doing with my body now and the ways that I am exploring it. What we also wanted to find out was what's behind the increasing popularity of squirting. It literally is a show, right? We talk about the money shot, typically as the penis possessing individual, shooting their load all over someone. This is almost kind of a pushback to that as going, look, we can do this too. It's a visual cue of pleasure. And I think a lot of people are really wanting to see that. I think the stats I threw out at our uh, last chat was that 78% of videos on Pornhub for the top 50 showed a male reaching orgasm and only 18.2% showing a female reaching orgasm. This is that orgasm. It is hot to see someone hot and bothered. It is hot to see someone reaching pleasure in a way that works for them. And so we've got the visual side of this. And it's just like, yes, like we are seeing someone reach a form of pleasure that we can witness. And there's like a uh, a media, a Hollywood-esque kind of value to that, right? And kind of a reclaiming of visual pleasure. After our conversation with Alicia Fisher, we then had the pleasure of interviewing one of my personal favorite sex educators, one of my favorite humans in this space, the one, the only, the queen of squirting herself, Lola Jean. My name is Lola Jean. I I mean, I go by really any pronouns, but I guess she, her is easiest for how I present. I'm a, I'm a, a little bit of a new journey in my like gender identity that I'm figuring out but 
it's probably like gender queer, agender, something around there. But yeah, I wear, I wear a lot of hats, many hats. So right now it's a sex educator, fetish wrestler, occasional pro dom, and, and then as we know, the world record holder in volume squirting. One of the reasons that I was most excited to speak to Lola is, yes, she's a squirter, but she's not constantly talking about how amazing it is and how good it feels and celebrating it all the time. Her, like me, sometimes feels that squirting is a bit of a hindrance. But as you were saying, I didn't feel like I was, my experience was represented. I didn't feel like like the way that people were speaking about squirting really just didn't sit well with me. And I wanted to provide something different. I wanted to try to speak to people who didn't feel included within that. And that's what I try to do with really a lot of my work. I try to challenge norms. I try to challenge perceptions that are out there. So when it comes to squirting, we asked Lola, what needs to be clarified? We know absolutely nothing about squirting. There are some, I guess we can call them academic studies and research, and I'm curious about your opinion about them too. But a lot of these have... They have really small controls. It's like, oh, we did a study of seven people. That's not really a study. If you would have put me in a study when, like 10 years ago, I wouldn't be squirting. But if you put me in it now, I would be. So it's also a learned experience too. And I think squirting in particular is just a very difficult thing to study unless you're studying certain people who reliably squirt. But even given that, a control has to be the same for each person. And each person can squirt differently. So it's just a very hard thing to study. But I think when people hear that, they're like, oh, a study happened. It was science. Therefore, it's correct. So I more just try to get people to understand that science can't tell us everything. Case in point, that's why I set the world record is because I broke science. Yeah, you I did challenged that science. They said yeah. how much liquid was possible for a bladder to release. And you were like, what, beat that by like 300 milliliters or something? Yeah, yeah. It was like nine, 900 or 950. And I squirted out 1250. So I, and that, because that was, thought to be how much the human bladder could comfortably hold. So I want to let people know that science can tell us a bit. It can't tell us everything, and we should still be questioning. So naturally, we wanted to hear more about this world record for science. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, actually, you know what? When I initially had, because I love doing performances, I love competition, and I love things that are really campy. So initially, before the world record idea, I wanted to have, like, squirt wars which was going to be like double dare but was squirting and we had to fill it above the line you know it wasn't double dare and I was like trying to find someone else that could squirt the way that I did that had control over it that could do it in high volume I think I found one friend who was a fellow (laughs) pro dom and that was something I was trying to set up but it it never happened but that was like the initial idea of it I'd love to compete against someone else that's probably gonna make me I could probably do more than 1250 and here Yaz volunteers themselves as a competitor bring a bucket and a mop. Yeah, or I'm just even curious about like how much you can because like before, honestly, before the world record, I didn't measure it. I just knew it was a really insane amount. And this was something that didn't exist. There was no record that had been set regarding volume. And it's something that can't exist within Guinness because they're a family organization. So I did the whole process and applied to like set a record and what the stipulations were, the time constraints, all that. And then they rejected it because they're like, we can't do that. So basically read around the internet and figured if I had enough witnesses, journalists, and I still did this to like Guinness standards for like the measurement and the timing, um, the witnesses and all of that, then it would be true. And I broke science. So we know it's definitely a record. Lola went on to explain that there are many reasons why someone might squirt. Some people squirt due to penetration, some with clitoral stimulation, and some without any physical stimulation at all. She explained the difference between voluntary and involuntary squirting. In the case of involuntary squirters, like myself, the body just goes into autopilot once that juiciness is triggered, where others have to take on a more active role in contracting and experimenting with the muscles in their pelvic floor to make the squirting happen. Which led me to ask, what is the difference between strengthening your pelvic floor, or as Lola explains when it comes to squirting, coordinating your pelvic floor? Dr. Rachel Gelman really introduced me to the difference between, you know, contracting, lengthening and where dysfunction lies, because everyone's talking about kegels and strengthening, and that can be a really important part of it and process, but even a really strong pelvic floor can be dysfunctional. So even though if something's contracted and it's fully contracted and you need to contract more, it's like, I've already, I'm already at the, the pinnacle that I can't do it anymore. So it's not just 
the strengthening and the contraction that's important. It's also the lengthening and actually the lengthening part. So if you're contracting, it's shortening, you're lengthening, it's elongating. And then there's a relaxation in the middle of it. That lengthening part, that's what's happening when you're squirting, whether you are controlling that or it's happening on autopilot. But even more so when you're engaging with your pelvic floor, it also just should increase your pleasure. Because when you contract, that's engaging with your G area, that that tube-like bundle of erectile tissue. And when you lengthen, it still should feel pretty nice. Um, these are all engaging with that area and your clitoris all at the same time. And I think that's why a lot of people, myself, it sounds like you included, enjoy the clitoral stimulation because you're able to engage with the G area, with the internal clitoris by using your muscle groups and connecting that through the clitoris externally. Hearing about pelvic floor exercises I think is really important, especially for cis men, because I heard way too many of them try to take ownership over squirting like it's their victory over somebody else's body. Someone else's orgasm, someone else's pleasure is not your win, bro. And Lola had some things to say about this too. I mean, in general, orgasm, squirting, all of these things, like we're not making our person do any of that, but we can have a really large role in it. We can assist in the process. We can really lead up to that. And it maybe it depends on, again, if it's the body on autopilot or that person having an assist within that. I like to call it the alley-oop where, you know, they do most of the work, but I knock it in. But especially, I mean, really what squirting gave me, as much as I kind of hate it a bit too, what it gave me and what I'll always love it for is that it gave me this understanding of my body, of my vulva, specifically of my pelvic floor. And understanding that gave me so much more control over my pleasure. Obviously, it gave me control over my squirting, but I wasn't a very easy to orgasm person. And that's because I was just like, people do things to my body. I let them do to my body and like they make me orgasm or they make me do this and that. Whereas when I start having a little bit of control and I start using my muscles and I start doing different things, I'm having not like a crazy amount, but I'm having more orgasms than I was before. It's hard for me to tell you without a toy of like how many partner orgasms I've had that didn't involve at least a little bit of me making a particular effort with my body to get me there. Especially in regards to people saying like, you know, making someone squirt, assisting in the process, wanting to do this. It's really a conversation of asking yourself and asking your partner, like why you want this to happen. If, I mean, it could be curiosity. I want to experience what it is. People seem to be making a big deal about it. I'll make my own opinion after that. Maybe it's really underwhelming. Uh, But if it's that, you know, I think it's really cool. I want to see it. I want you to do this. Putting any kind of immense amount of pressure on sex is going to make that not fun. (laughs) We should really go into sex just wanting to have a good time. I've been with so many partners where they get upset if I don't orgasm or I don't squirt or something like that. And it's like, well, what about me? I'm also, I'm not upset that that happened. I just want to go in and have a fun time. Maybe I'll orgasm. Maybe I'll squirt. Maybe I'll do something else that I haven't done before, but also maybe I won't. The important part is that we just have fun and take these goals out of it. And I think, well, there's a difference between being goal-oriented and outcome-oriented because we can have goals. We can go into sex and be like, I really want to try anal. I would like to um, try to squirt today. I would like to try to do this. But it's when we're outcome-oriented, when I don't maybe achieve those goals, then I get upset or my partner gets upset. That's when there tends to be more of an issue. We asked Lola the same question that we asked Alicia Fisher. Why is squirting so popular right now? She mirrored a lot of Alicia's sentiments, saying that squirting might be the great equalizer, being a visual representation of one's pleasure, specifically in porn, but also that it serves as some sort of ego boost or validator, specifically for cis men that feel like somehow they are responsible for making the squirting happen. This made us want to ask why perhaps at times Lola doesn't enjoy squirting. I don't have time for anyone that is going to shame me or act like it's a nuisance. Cause like, it's a thing my body does. And if I had more control over not doing it, I would use that, but I don't. <laughs> so it's something that's a divider for people where if they're, they're going to shame me, if they're like, could you not do that? Oh, they complain about the mess all the time, or they start questioning my body. That's now something that I'm just like, cool, I don't have time for you. I'm not going to see you anymore. You've shown me your cards. There's also going to be other people that completely fetishize it and are obsessed with it. Or if they make it about their ego, or if they make me feel bad if I don't do it, those are other people where it's like, you show me your cards. So it whittles down 
my dating and sex bowl a lot, um, which is, you know, that could be a blessing or a curse depending on it. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and it's unfortunate of people's reactions to it. I want it to more so just be indifferent. Um, it's also just annoying because of the mess of knowing that like, there's a certain amount that I have to prepare anytime I want to masturbate. If I go to a sex party, if I go over to someone else's place, like I usually have a puppy pad in my bag, like a girl scout at all times, just in case. But as much as I prepare, like having to be conscious at all times, like, okay, I think we filled up this puppy pad. We need to change this out. We need to like, I have to be conscious of what's coming out of my body instead of just being able to like, enjoy it. I relate to a lot of what Lola said. I too don't always enjoy the experience of squirting. I think perhaps part of that is that the novelty of it has worn off. Sometimes it feels more like a nuisance, like I mentioned, as opposed to something to get really excited about. One of the reasons behind this is that it requires a lot of planning. Sometimes I feel envious of those that can just have spontaneous sex and not care about any mess that might happen, but for me, I don't get that luxury. Sometimes squirting feels really good. It's part of my orgasm. Other times, I almost feel nothing at all. So this made us want to ask Lola Jean, what does squirting feel like for her? It depends. It depends on how much buildup that there is, too. I, I mean, honestly, it could be similar to a really good sneeze because it feels like a release. So it feels hmm. like I had a sneeze that's been coming on for a while and then I can finally sneeze or I have an itch that I haven't been able to get to. And then I finally get to that itch. And there's definitely been certain points where I'm like with a partner and we're fooling around and I just feel like oh God, there's stuff in my body and it just needs to come out. Like this has to happen. Similar to like this sneeze needs to come out. This itch needs to be scratched. And sometimes it's a kind of pathetic sneeze and sometimes it's like a good sneeze. And as a partner to somebody who is a squirter, you can show support by asking some questions. What does squirting feel like for you? When do you enjoy doing it? And when do you not? And in the instances that you don't want to squirt, what are some other types of stimulation that you enjoy that probably won't lead to squirting. Okay, so for those of you who are really intrigued by squirting, trying to learn how to do it yourselves, or are avid squirters and really enjoy it, you might not understand why it was so important for me to ask Lola if she had any tips for how one might learn how to stop squirting. But hear me out. I think that it's super important to feel somewhat in control of your body and what it does so that if we ever come into a situation or circumstance where we don't want to squirt, that we know how to do it. There's no off button, huh? Oh, it's the question that breaks my heart from so many people that I get. They're like, how do I stop doing this? And I'm like, oh, I wish I had a better answer for you. I mean, for me, so like the Hitachi magic wand really overwhelms my body. And it's something that I don't really like that often, but, but because it overwhelms my body so much, my squirt valve kind of goes off during that. So maybe finding a sensation that overwhelms your body. It could be even when something's penetrating me, it's a lot harder to squirt. So maybe that's something that you can involve more or maybe something distracting, like having doing something anally. Um, it's really just exploring with different sensations and different, whether it's sensations that overwhelm you, sensations that are different, putting things in different holes. And that's, it's, it's going to be different for everyone. So there's not one solution. Like other people, Hitachi magic wand might make them squirt more. Um, so it's not going to be the same for everybody, but trying to experiment with different overwhelming sensations, whatever that is to you, or maybe, maybe more things penetrating. So maybe, especially if like if it's your partner has a penis, sometimes it's hard to keep that inside when you're trying to squirt because you are lengthening the shit out of your pelvic floor. So maybe you need to like put a dildo there and have that person just hold it in with all of their might. Okay, so we got to research squirting. We got to ask some of our favorite sexperts about squirting and their lived experiences. And we also put a call out on Instagram to see who wanted to talk about their lived experiences around squirting. So we created a panel of what we hoped would be a diverse group of people sharing their experiences in the hopes that you find someone whose story you can resonate with. Hey guys, I'm uh, Peach Bum uh, on Twitter. You can find me there. And uh, I go by he, sometimes her as well, just depending on uh, how I'm feeling that day. Hello, I'm Ashley. My Instagram is Miss Obscure and my pronouns are she, they. 
I would say my sexuality is just queer. I don't know. I'm an Ashley. Hello, I am Elliot. Uh, online, I'm emo ex hobbit because uh, I'm an emo hobbit. My pronouns are currently he, they. My sexuality is something queer, pansexual. Hi, everyone. I am Megs or Daisy sometimes. On Instagram, you can find me at I'm just the Daisy, also on Twitter. Um, my pronouns are she, they. I identify as pan, bi, queer. Hey guys, I'm Little Miss B on Instagram. You can also call me N. I go by she, her, and I identify as queer, pan. The first thing that we wanted to ask our panel, and this is a nod back to old intellectual erection where I used to ask the origin question, is the origin of their squirting. Tell us about your first time squirting. What was it like? How did it feel? Who was there? Here's Elliot. Okay, so this is a, this is both a really great but also slightly traumatizing way I found out that I could squirt. I was a teenager. I think I was 16. Um, my best friend at the time had gotten me a G-spot vibrator. And I decided it was a great idea for the first time for me to use it uh, to be on webcam with two total strangers, one of them who was definitely like uh, 18 plus pedophile. <laughs> and I, I used it on webcam and uh, when I came, I squirted. And it felt really great and it was super awesome except after the fact he threatened to find out which high school I went to and post screenshots everywhere, which didn't end up happening, but it freaked me the hell out. And I didn't talk to anybody online for a while, but it felt great. And then I don't think I did it again until I was with a partner. Now, little Miss B. So I feel like my answer is almost the opposite of, of Elliot's. I had been super sex positive and kind of like in my body since teenagehood and felt like squirting was something I would have accomplished by by my 30s by the if I hadn't um, already and I was just starting to date again after having my uh, my first kids and I went on a date with someone solely because they had said during our chats that they could make anyone squirt, which is not a promise that anyone should make, really. But I was curious enough to end up on a date. And during the date, they seemed like an OK enough human and they seemed really confident in, in this ability that they had. And so I agreed to go on one more date, basically just to have them prove it. Because um, I thought, you know, there's no way I've had a lot of amazing sex in the past, you know, number of years. And let's just see. So we went on a date and it was actually to Oasis, which is not my like first choice of first date spot, especially not when you're doing something as vulnerable as trying to learn to squirt. But lo and behold, he given me a set of instructions beforehand, which included a lot of hydration, um, really took his time with me. And then basically told me when I was going to squirt. And a second later, I did. And I didn't even believe it was going to happen. And I just drenched the towels that he had laid out below me. And he basically just like picked them up and wrung them out to show me that it had happened. And I was in complete disbelief. He left to go abroad for a year after that, a sort of week or two later. And I didn't squirt again for another four years. We now turn to Peach Bum. I got into anal sex really young mainly just on my own uh, masturbating and just knew I liked that from a young age and had been doing that for a while and slowly as I would play with myself um, I noticed that like little drips were coming out of my penis and I thought this was maybe just some like pre-cum or something like that and then one time specifically in the shower I remember just feeling this like kind of everything tightened up inside me and then all of a sudden I just I had to push really hard like I just felt I needed to like just kind of push and all of a sudden just a huge stream of something came out of me and I was like this makes no sense like I've seen women squirt but what like what was that and the feeling was good I wouldn't say it was anywhere near the level of an orgasm for me but it was just 
really just surprising. And then I was obviously interested and went on the internet uh, and searched <laughs> a lot about it and found out it is something that, you know, people with penises can do. And uh, usually you do need anal stimulation from what I've read, but apparently some uh, men have actually done it with um, just vibrators on their penis. I haven't experienced that yet. For me, I need anal stimulation to uh, squirt. Now we hear from Ashley. My first time knowing I could squirt was the first time I actually had an orgasm in college. I was masturbating and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to orgasm. Oh my God. And then it was just like, waterfall torrential downpour and I was like oh my god what the hell is this and um it's happened every single time since pretty much and there is still to this day a huge shame about it huge Ashley isn't alone in her experience of feeling shame around squirting so we asked the panel have you ever felt shame around squirting if so What did you do to get over it or to work through that shame? For those like Ashley who are still experiencing shame around squirting, we asked, what might be required or helpful in order for this to feel better for you? We start with Little Miss B. I sort of uh, split my my shame into two categories. One is like full-on type A guilt for making a mess and causing someone to have to do their laundry. I have a really weird thing about making people have to do laundry. The way that I overcome it is super nerdy usually, which is I'll bring my own like squirt blanket, which is like an awesome dog blanket that (laughs) is impenetrable and meant for pets, but works really great as a squirt blanket. Or I will literally, if I know it's coming, because usually I know, I'll get up and off the bed and onto like a hardwood floor, or I'll tell them to put me in the in the shower. I love squirting in the shower because I just feel really free and relaxed. Um, so mine is just very like guilty mess oriented. But I sort of have this flip side of shame, which is actually about not being able to squirt that easily. So I think once people find out that I can squirt and I'm sex positive and I like to engage then I feel this like shame that I'm not doing it with them, even if they're doing lots of things that feel great and I'm feeling really engaged in other ways. Then all of a sudden I start to be like, it's okay. Like, it's not you, it's me. It doesn't happen with everyone. It's really rare, you know? And then I can feel sort of pressure from them or, or like almost like they're not doing a good enough job. So, you know, working, which it shouldn't be my job to tell someone that they're doing a really great job and things feel great and it's not their fault that I'm not squirting or I'm really dehydrated or, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. It takes a really particular movement for me and I need to feel pretty comfortable, I think, with someone to let it happen. Like the more comfortable and relaxed and engaged I am with someone, the, the easier it is to happen. So I just try and prep them by saying, hey, like I have squirted, but I, I, it doesn't happen with many people. Next, we go to Peach Bum. As I said before, like to squirt, I need anal stimulation. And I was always more concerned with the mess from back there. With squirting, if I ever tell someone I can squirt, they're usually more so just confused and maybe fascinated. Then I have to put this big like, okay, but we're going to be, you know, going down another road of anal and you need to be okay with that and the, the potential mess there. And I actually have a big, I'm very particular about if I'm going to do anal about spending a good half an hour in the shower, making sure we're all good back there. And then I guess, I guess it'd be, I feel shameful when I can't like ashamed of myself almost that I, if I can't get it clean to the point that I feel comfortable. And then I've now promised this person like, Oh yeah, we'll do squirting. Like come over. You can see what it's like uh, for, for, you know, a penis to squirt. And then uh, like, I'm sorry, I can't tonight because it's just, it's not, cooperating back there so then that's really like I get disappointed oh I can't do this fun thing that I had planned with this person and that's where I guess my shame is you have to be open and honest with your partner that hey there could be mess and you're really lucky to have you know if you can find a partner who's just okay with getting messy (laughs) yeah you know things get dirty when you get dirty now we return to Ashley like I've said I'm super ashamed of it because of just past experiences no one actually talking about it like where was it in health class that this is an actual common thing like that bodies do 
so my first partner ever, really, my first boyfriend, he got me to squirt and then afterwards just shamed me saying, oh, you just pissed yourself. What the fuck? Like all of this. And he basically, he didn't give me a towel. He made me sleep in a wet puddle every time I did it. So I still have this shame because I've never been able to let go of that, which sucks. So like my first step was actually doing this because I'm never talk about it. It's something I keep very hidden to a lot of people. We go over to Meg's. Being someone who discovered squirting through porn and that being like a big like category that you like look at and oh, if I don't perform like that, then I'm not like good or that I'm not like enjoying myself as much as I should be. But I think something that also helped me like not be ashamed was knowing how much or how many people really enjoy squirting as like find it really sexy, find it hot. And as a person also who like, likes outside validation and I'm trying to work on that but knowing that people find it hot and something that I can do is something that's hot to other people feels very nice to me. For a lot of people the first step to overcoming shame around squirting is just talking about it and realizing that many of us feel and have felt really strange about it. Maybe this helps to encourage us to enjoy the process as well. And I guess to switch gears here, we get off to our last question, which is what usually happens on intellectual erection, the sexy stories. So in this case, we asked our panel to tell us a fun, outrageous, or sexy story specifically about squirting. We began with Little Miss B. We went away on, on a trip together with a group of other sex-positive people, and we were just having a very nice time. And one of the days, we decided to rent a minivan and drive to go sightseeing, and him and I were in the back. And slowly, we had about a two-hour drive, they started to play with me. And and I was looking, and I was whispering, like, no, 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 because I, I know the effect their fingers have on me. And, and I'm like just worried that other people in the van are going to turn around and see us in the back. And then I felt it start to come and I'm going, no, 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 no. And, and I just felt myself release and soak the back seat of the minivan and slapped them on the head. And like I was happy, sad, kind of a mix. And then I swear to you, every single time we took the van for the rest of the trip, I was like, oh, I'll go in the back. I'll sit in the back. No one else needs to go in the back. That's amazing. Did you... Did you volunteer to sit in the back so you could just cover the wet spot or because you wanted to do it again? Oh, no, totally to cover the wet spot. I was so worried about like someone else having to sit on that, not knowing that that's what was there, that every time I was like, yeah, I'll come in the tiniest seat. I will sit in the tiniest seat. Um, and yeah. Now we go over to Peach Bum. So it was uh, my friend's birthday and they had got an Airbnb downtown somewhere and it was going to be a, a bit of a kinky party, but I had to show up late for stuff at work. It sucked. So I'm expecting to walk into this party and it just be, you know, full on orgy and get there at like 11. So the party been going for a while and everyone's still fully dressed, just walked around like it's a cocktail party. What's going on? So I go up to my uh, friend whose birthday it is. And I was like, so do you want to uh, do that thing we talked about? The thing you wanted for your birthday present? You know, let's get this going. And immediately she like, smiles and so excited she's like, yeah yeah let's get it going i don't know how to start anything so like, okay let, let, let's go so i go to the middle of this room <laughs> i get in it full naked i'm the first person naked i'm also the last person to arrive i'm the first person naked i lay down on the ottoman in the middle of this airbnb that has carpeted floor by the way and lube myself up and now everyone from this party has so just surrounded us in a big circle and her birthday present was to try to put her foot in my ass. And obviously I agreed. It's her birthday. I can't say no to that. And so she proceeds to warm me up and get me going. And the next thing you know, you know, a couple toes are going in and she gets her foot almost all the way up to the heel. And uh, that's when I 
feel that building up feeling oh i'm gonna squirt Uh oh i'm gonna squirt and it uh with so much pressure and so like with a whole foot in your ass there's it came out uh i squirted further than i'd ever squirted before and i hit people in the audience behind us and uh i definitely soaked that carpet and helped her clean up in the morning now to meg's i was on webcam with someone having some fun time and Basically, just after like an hour, I had squirted all over my laptop and the camera and was like, okay, you can stay on, but I'm going to be like running around trying to like clean up all my mess and like not fry this device. And that concludes our panel. But we also received an anonymous squirting story submission from one of our listeners that you'll get to hear now. The idea of having sex outside of the bedroom um, has always been appealing to me, but it's always been a little bit more difficult to navigate because of my experience with squirting. This one particular occasion, my then partner had an office, but it was a shared office at a university. We planned it out because I had to make sure that I packed at least a couple towels, change of at least underwear, if not clothes. And uh, we put a sign on the door (laughs) saying meeting in progress and we fucked on her desk. So the towels were definitely needed. Change of clothes is definitely needed. Also, if you have your own sexy stories, it doesn't have to be about squirting that you'd like to share on this podcast anonymously, just send them to intellectualerection at gmail.com. You can record on your phone and just make it under five minutes. And now the outro, read by Lola Jean. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking.